0: Hey fellow Logo Geeks I'm your host Ian Padgett and on this week's episode I'm excited to say that we'll be chatting with David Airy about how to get clients. Before we go into that I want to thank the sponsor of this episode FreshBooks. Now, FreshBooks is an accounting software that I use on a daily basis to send invoices, log expenses, and track the time I've used. It looks beautiful and is super easy to use, and it's a tool I highly recommend. If you'd like to check it out, they kindly offered listeners of this show a free 30-day trial. To get this, just visit freshbooks.com forward slash logogeek. And enter Logo Geek in the how did you hear about us section. I'm really excited about this week's podcast as we'll be chatting with an idol of mine, David Airy, who's a brand identity designer and writer. He's the man behind the popular blog and book of the same name, Logo Design Love. He also wrote a book that had quite a big impact on me when I read it and is probably one of the reasons why I eventually went part-time freelance. Uh, This book is called Work for Money, Design for Love and I highly recommend anyone that's listening to this that are considering going freelance or setting up their own business to read that book. It's fantastic. I've been a fan of David's for many years and have read most of his blogs during that time. I've been really inspired by David and everything that he's done to the point that I don't think Logo Geek would ever have existed if it wasn't for him. Because of that, it's a real honor to have had the opportunity to speak to him and to have him as a guest on the show. So from Northern Ireland, I welcome David Airy to talk about getting logo design clients. Before
1: anything else, you've got to be good at what you do. And you've got to have confidence that you're good because no one wants to buy bad design. So if you think you need to get better before you can lead a client through a project, then you need to train yourself, whether that's in design and then the quality of what you create, or maybe it's in your your sales skills and knowing how to turn a prospect into someone who hires you. Clients, they hire me either through word of mouth, through maybe picking up my book or through finding my website everyone when they when they start out in design there's no word of mouth at all because you've got nothing to you've got nothing behind you to draw upon so there's so I'll I'll not go into that at all but much more realistic is to have people find you through a, a side project something that shows your interest in design and that design for you is more than just a way to make ends meet if you Think about it this way. If you, if you take two people who do the same job, one of them enjoys it and the other one isn't really that bothered. Give me the one with a smile on their face every time. You know, they'll, they'll be more reliable and they'll do their job better. So if you can use side projects to show that that person is you, it gives you an advantage over the thousands of designers who have nothing more than a portfolio. It's like the, the podcast that you're doing in. I, I, I bet that it puts you in
0: a 1% bracket of designers who have a portfolio and a podcast. I can, I can, I can agree with that because um, Logo Geek started as a side project. I mean, I was just working on logos for fun and you're totally right with that, like that doing something that you're passionate about and putting your work out there, that does attract other work. I mean, even things that I've done for free for friends. Um, you know things that have really excited me mm-hmm. putting it I think that's probably the most important thing is physically putting it out there you know showcasing it on all these um, different online portfolios or even on a website um, it does attract more business so that's brilliant advice. Yeah definitely Just put the work out there
1: you know, because you know if you don't no one's going to no one's going to hire you it, it can take a bit of a can be a bit of a struggle overcoming that at the start you know you you want something to be perfect but you've just got to you've got to start somewhere you know, realize that you're never going to be as good as you want to be because you you want to continually improve what you're doing so you might look at your work and think oh it's it's not quite right or i need to change this about it but you've just got to say to yourself you know show it to people there's a book by austin cleon show your work it's a good one
0: I mean, in terms of what you said about putting your work out there, where would you start with that?
1: Other than other than your portfolio, you mean?
0: Well, um, like, I guess, um, would there be a particular um, showcase website that you would possibly put your work on to put it out there, or would you like literally just start with a website? Well, I, I, don't, I start with a website, but I, I know that
1: people have had success putting their work on Behance, but... I I have I have a profile there but there's there's nothing I don't I'm pretty sure there's nothing on it. Uh, it can it, it could be great if you have a lot of you, know, you can get a lot of views that way but
0: I'm I'm not sure how many clients search through Behance. Have you had any success with it? Um to be honest, I haven't used it myself just because I mean I'm where all my clients come from personally is through my website. Yeah, yeah, it's it's the same. Well, I mentioned that some clients find me through my book
1: and that's that's the value of side projects. Like my, A client that I've just finished working with, for example, uh, a psychiatrist in Brooklyn, he, he sent me an email after picking up a copy of my book. So even before we spoke, the book had done quite a bit of work in establishing trust, the trust that someone needs to have if they're going to pay me thousands of pounds without ever meeting me in person and it was only a few days after that initial email when his his first payment reached my account and it's not a it's not a one-off you know I've had a a few clients based in Moscow and I know for sure that before hiring me one of them had bought the the Russian translation in a bookstore so the the ability for that to happen at all came through a side project it was first the logo design love blog and then that turned into a book so you know anyone can do it it's just it's easy it's easy to do it just takes work, it just takes making a start and it was, it was that start of me it was when I arrived, launched the local design love blog in two thousand and eight, it just you know it was it was a side project I I didn't think too much of it it was just a few hours each week, that developed into something a little bit bigger, and then got me an approach from a publisher,
0: so it's 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 funny how these things turn out. So for you, has it been the book? now and uh, your website there's literally drawing in clients yeah, yeah that's right
1: I, I'd say about half of the, the work that I do is probably word of mouth so people are going to, people are going to see my website before they, they learn about my book but I've also had clients who have told me that they, they found my website through a Google search and then they went on to buy my book and then after seeing that then they contacted me so there's it's, it's it's really got a lot to do with trust if you can if you can make your clients think that you're the least risky person to deal with then you know side projects that show your passion is they're going to help a great deal
0: okay so for those that already have clients um in instances where they want to get bigger clients i mean like higher paying clients or you know even potentially names do you have any like different advice um for that group of people i mean i'm kind of imagining it's possibly the same answer like getting books out there and um blogs and showing your passion but just curious if there would be a different um answer for that question Mm
1: -hmm. well bigger clients obviously pay more money and if they're going to pay you that money again it's like you've, you said possibly a similar answer again it comes down to trust now that's that's not a new thing when clients get to a certain size even the smallest clients are right to be cautious before hiring you it's like any time you you spend a hefty amount of money on something before you actually get what you're paying for you do your research on who you're paying and it's exactly the same with design clients more so when they're spending tens maybe hundreds of thousands so Always expect your potential clients to see every detail there is about you online They're they're highly unlikely to see it all but You've got to show that you're a professional and be consistent about it for years It's it's been a gradual thing me growing my business If you happen to land a, a multinational in the first couple of years, well, you're doing better than I did It was about it was about three years into into business when I got a project with yellow pages and that was after they emailed me out of the blue, so there was there was probably an element of luck in there about how they actually found my portfolio. It was it was because of my blog. Someone who was working at the company at the time paid an interest in the, the design posts that I, were, that I was writing about and showing my sketches. I think that made a big made a big deal. Yeah. If if Yellow Pages came to me today, I'd be doing things differently. For a start, I'd be I'd be putting options in my quote. I, that's something i didn't do whenever they contacted me oh what was it It was back in 2008 2009 maybe i i gave them one figure for the job that they asked for and that meant that their choice was either a yes or no but when i sent quotes today i generally put three price options in there so the client instead of deciding whether to hire me they're then left wondering in what way are they going to hire me so it, it makes it more likely that they're going to actually say yes
0: okay so, I mean, in, in terms of those, like, three options, how, just so that I can understand, how does that make a difference? Because I guess, I mean, I'm probably not doing it the best way, but I'm, I'm offering one price at the moment for everyone. And um, where I'm justifying that is that I'm running my business part time. So if I can make X amount of money each month, that um, covers everything for me. But I mean, in, in terms of those three options, are you doing like a, a low version? I mean, you don't need to say any prices, but are you doing like a low version, mid-price and high price and like slightly differing what those uh, services are?
1: Yes, I'll give you an example of the the last quote that I sent. A company in Dubai approached me. They asked for a redesign of their logo that they'd been using for more than 17 years. It's, it's not the best logo and... The person, the, the person who contacted me knows that it can be better. So that's that's their only reason for contacting me was to get this redesigned. Okay. And in our discussions, I was asking if they wanted it refined slightly so that they kept the brand equity that was behind it, or if they wanted a complete redesign, something something completely different. And the logo was going to be placed on a range of packaging, because they they ship stationery all over the world, things like hole punchers and ring binders that type of thing. So, what my quote was broken down into was the first option was simply for the a refinement of the logo, that was the the cheapest one. The second option was for a refinement as well as a redesign, so they had some, some some comparison there, and then the third option was for refinement, the redesign to give them that comparison and then to design uh, the packaging as well so that the the full range of products looked consistent. the, The packaging wasn't something that they mentioned whenever they wanted to hire me but as a result of me putting that in my quote they chose the second option which was the redesign and the refinement and then they asked me if they can do the packaging after after we finish this stage so i could have just you know whenever i started out in business i would have just given them a quote for the refinement but i've i've i'm able to earn well about three times as much and um, to do to do those additional options and it's not like i'm stealing money off them you know it's it's help that they want so we both, both benefit from it.
0: Yeah, it's a really good idea because you're essentially um, providing a quote for what it was they asked for and then offering something else that they possibly hadn't, hadn't thought of that adds more value. Mm-hmm. But it's also um, you know, more work for you, more money, um, a better client, uh, longer relationship. And, I mean, in terms of doing that packaging, the fact that you kind of mentioned that you do that as well you you probably um, got a client for life there, to some extent. That's really good advice. Now, we know that creating a portfolio is essential for attracting clients um, or a website. I mean, we've spoken about that already. Um, I want to just uh, talk about that with you. I mean, where would you recommend to start with a website? So, I mean, I personally use WordPress. Would you recommend that's the best place? Or, um, I mean, there's things like Squarespace that seem to be pretty easy to get started. Mm-hmm. What would you recommend for people? I also use WordPress, and I have been
1: since I started. So I, d- I definitely recommend it. Whether it's the, the best option, I'm not sure. Squarespace comes very highly recommended as well. With With Squarespace and um, it, it might end up being a little more expensive it depends on how much traffic you have coming to your website and how much hosting you need the the cost for me with with wordpress is minimal it's it's uh, what do i spend on hosting in fact i get my my hosting in return for um a banner ad or a little link in the sidebar so so i i don't pay for hosting well i, I kind of do through advertising but the outlay that I have for my websites is, is is very low and WordPress has been brilliant it's helped me to it's helped me to learn a bit about coding as well because when I started out I, I knew nothing you know when, when I started in business I had to kind of teach myself how to customize the WordPress theme you know without well just just through online tutorials of which there are loads for WordPress so can't go wrong with that
0: I mean, I found with um, WordPress, uh, there's quite a lot of free templates, you know, to kind of get you going. Um, but if you did want to like invest, I know you're talking like $60 um, or, six, you know, like £50 pounds in the UK, yeah. uh, through websites like ThemeForest, you can find really good bog-standard templates. And um, like I understand with your one that you've modified the HTML, which... I, I really feel like I need to start doing that now. Um, But you don't have to do that. You can literally take these templates, um, do like an install, and it's just a case of adding in images. Um, I mean, from that side of it, it's quite manual. Um, But yeah, WordPress makes it very easy for you to, um, you know, build anything you want to some extent. Mm -hmm.
1: And yes, there are so many themes out there that even if you were to choose one off the shelf, it's 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 kind of likely that you can still differentiate yourself, even though there's going to be other people using the same theme, because ultimately it all comes down to the work that you put on it. My preference for the theme would be just to keep it keep it simple. When you strip it down, all you really need is a homepage, a work page with your individual projects, and a profile page, and then a, a journal or a, or a blog. Um, when, you, when you've when you just graduated, I'm thinking about any students that might be listening, when you've just graduated, all you tend to have is a collection of classroom projects without any client involvement. And if that's the stage you're at, the goal is when you have those projects on your website, the goal is to replace each one, starting with the weakest, with work that you've been hired to do. It's, it's, it's obviously tough to get hired whenever all you've got is a student portfolio and that, that leads on to pro bono design, where it can play a big part. That, that doesn't mean pro bono is only good for the early days of building a portfolio. You know, it can be great all through your career. You know, Paula, Paula Scherr often talks it up. You know, it's, it's one where you approach it. You 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 give your for the greater good. That's a rough translation of pro bono. You give your work for free for a company, for a charity, a non-profit, for example, and then they. In turn, they use the work and then you can take photos of it or, you know, put it in your portfolio as an example of a client project.
0: I mean, for those people that haven't really done a lot of work um, other than what they've done in university, for example, Uh how would they go about getting pro bono work? They would contact charities directly. So just literally go on their website, go on the contact page and send send an email or pick up the phone is that is it just as simple as that it can be it can be but i I would i would recommend
1: approaching small charities because large ones they're going to have you know they're they're going to pay a lot of money for design they're they're run like any other business well a small charity is also run like any other business except it doesn't have the money to back it up so if you go to a small charity a local one as well so that you can meet them face-to-face and build a better relationship that way, then that relationship that you build with the business owner, they, they can then give you some word-of-mouth referrals that, that can grow your client base as well.
0: I've done work for a couple of charities. Um, to be honest, not for the reason of doing portfolio work, but, I mean, other than putting stuff in your portfolio, to be honest, when you see, when you see a charity using your work for the greater good, it feels good as well. Um, so I mean, there, there's two sides to it. You're doing something um, good, but then also you're exposing yourself to real world clients and you've got a physical project that you can do a case study. Now, I mean, in terms of portfolio, um, in terms of the pieces you put in, would you do some kind of case study around that as well to show how it works, yes. how, how you've gone about doing that?
1: Yes, definitely. It's the case studies that... That tend to get you the the better clients because they they can get a real sense of how you work through a project there are so many portfolios where all you might see is a final logo but you don't see any of the thinking behind it you don't see any of the meaning behind an otherwise abstract symbol you know if, if you t- a good logo has to be simple but it also has to be distinctive so there needs to be some features that help it stand out from other simple marks and at the same time it has to be relevant to the business that it's identifying so with with such a simple idea or such a simple mark should I say the um the meaning can often need a little explanation which some people think that that might be a bad thing what good is a logo if you need to explain it but people who run a business if they're looking at something every day they want there to be a, a mean meaning to it and they want they want to feel some kind of ownership or some kind of involvement where they might have been they might have they might have had some say throughout the process if you can if you can show that through a portfolio case study and explain the various steps that were involved then it's going to make potential clients more interested in following that process with you themselves. Rather than then just coming to your portfolio and seeing um, a variety of the the finished article.
0: I want to take a quick moment to talk about the sponsor of this podcast, FreshBooks. When I first started to get paying clients, I would use Excel spreadsheets to log payments and expenses. Then I'd use InDesign to create my invoices. This was great when I first started but once I started to get more clients, my problem was everything took too long and it started to feel very unorganized and unprofessional. When I found FreshBooks, it made my life so much easier. Invoices were quick and easy to create and I could easily keep an eye on my profits and expenses too in a beautifully designed dashboard. I not only felt more professional, But everything was also more organised, and it freed up time too, so that I could focus on my logo design projects. Now I'd highly recommend you checking out FreshBooks, because I think it's fantastic. And to do that, FreshBooks has kindly offered the listeners of this show a free, unrestricted 30-day trial. To claim this, simply visit freshbooks.com forward slash logogeek and enter Logo Geek in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Now let's get back to the interview. Loads of people make mistakes when they start out, so I think that's probably a good area to talk about now. So what are the typical portfolio mistakes that you see?
1: One is including every piece of work that you do. There might be jobs to take on, that pay better than average, but that might be as exciting as normal, or the result isn't any better than your other portfolio entries. And that's fine, those jobs might make it possible for you to work on the, the brilliant opportunities that don't pay as well. So don't worry about doing work and leaving it out of your portfolio. Some of the, the best folios I've seen have maybe 15 or 20 projects. And when you put yourself in your client's shoes, that's plenty to give an idea of how good you are if you look at largest the largest studios like Pentagram for example they might have hundreds of projects on their website and that's understandable too because they have a lot of people involved in, in, in the work so they don't want to be doing the work and then not having it online in my case though as a an independent designer I think there are maybe about 20 projects in in my portfolio at the minute and I'm not massively keen to increase that number but if it comes to a new project that I finish I'm much more likely to take out one of the weaker projects and replace it with a new one so it's a kind of continual progression in quality.
0: I understand that. I mean one one thing that I'm thinking of with that because I, I, I totally agree that it makes sense to only show a handful of pieces. Um but what I found in my experience is that sometimes people cannot see beyond um a company. So for example, if you got loads of fashion brands in in your portfolio and you get a plumber that might come in and they want a logo, you know they they might have the budget to um you know to work with you but if they don't see examples of that in your portfolio i found from my experience that they might not necessarily go with you mm-hmm. um have you faced that problem and i mean is there any way to get around that with just a small selection
1: i have faced that problem yeah it's a, it's a good point a lot of not a lot but every now and again people will come to me and they'll ask me if i've worked on a project in their specific industry or, or sector and if I haven't I'll explain to them that well I'll, I'll tell them I haven't and, I, and I'll say that it's the, it's the same I follow the same process no matter what company I'm working on that's I, I do design I don't do their business they specialize in what they do and I specialize in what I do and I can translate design across across any market across any industry so it's 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 more a matter of trying to ease any fears that they have and sell myself a bit better and uh, as being a good designer
0: Okay, that makes sense. Okay, are there any more uh, portfolio mistakes that you've seen? Yeah,
1: not enough context. Uh, a single page that shows all your logo work, for example that that can be good if it's just you know a lot of logos in isolation. As long as you give some of the designs their own page with more project details. If all you're showing is a logo on its own, it gets much harder to differentiate you from websites that sell contest listings, for example. Uh, Another mistake. Too much jargon. You've got to write like you talk. And also write like you're talking to your next client rather than another designer.
0: What's an example of the jargon that's being used? oh this
1: synergize you know words like that but a lot of branding speak
0: is it uh like generally terms like typography terms like kerning and yeah exactly exactly if you're going to
1: it's okay to talk like that but you have to explain things well unless you know that you're the person you're talking to is familiar with these terms then I, i either wouldn't use them you know, I'd explain it in a different way rather than saying currently. I'd just talk about oh, this, this the tightness between the letters, the individual spacing, so that there's no bigger gaps here that, rather than there, that type of thing. But yeah, pretend that, don't pretend.
0: Yes. <laughs> Say that you you got to be talking to a friend in a pub. You know, think of it that way. Yeah, that makes sense. Keep it simple. Be on the client's um, level that's good advice yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, another mistake would be tiny text uh, or a lack of contrast between the text and the background you know, my, my eyesight's already and it's not perfect I wear glasses when I'm on my computer or watching TV but the amount of websites that I go on I, I really shouldn't have to manually enlarge text to to be comfortable reading it so that's that's just that's that's more the design the design of a website
0: but yeah. That makes sense. I mean, a lot of uh, people out there are using small text and you know in a light grey, which to be fair, it looks nice, but you can't read it. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I, I guess all of these pieces of advice is basically they all they all link together in some way. You're you're advising to make it easy for the client, um, allow the client to understand. Um, what you're doing to speak in the client's language i guess rather to create the website and the content from the client's perspective do you have any more um tips that you want to add to that
1: another another mistake is one one i fell into in my early days and that was feeling the need to make yourself look bigger than you are through your website you know I have, having done this myself i can understand why people do it it's something that i still see yeah i was worried that no one would hire me if they knew that i was working alone but that's that's just irrational you know people hire you based on the strength of your work well actually that reminds me of a speech neil neil gaiman he he once gave it was a commencement speech i think i i put it on my blog i like it that much he, he said that people get hired for three reasons because their work's good because they're easy to get along with and because they get the work done on time but his point was that you don't need all three you know, two out of three is fine people are going to tolerate how you know, unpleasant you might be if your work's good and on time or people will forgive the lateness of your work if it's good and they like you and you don't have to be as good as everyone else if you're on time and it's always a pleasure to hear from you that's that's something that stuck with me because I know I'm not as good as everyone else and I'm never going to be as good as everyone else but if I have if I enjoy my work and I want to do a great job for the people who hire me and I get the the work done on time to the best of my ability, then if I can make a living doing that, I think it's a, it's a pretty good place to be in.
0: I took that advice from you. Um, when I read one of your books, I think it was in the work money. Um, uh, when I first started out, I had a lot of people telling me, I should make my business sound bigger. And I did start using we, wee." you know, kept it in we, wow. but it was just me on my own. And I did find that the moment I did switch it to being honest and open and literally, you know, putting my name, I actually got more business from that. And the, the people that was getting in touch with me at that point, they were more on my level as well. Like um, most of the clients that I'm working with, I, I kind of feel like we're at the same stage in our business. And I, I think, you know, being honest, it not only attracts, you know, similar people to you that want to work with you. It, um, you know, when when the person starts working with you, they, you know, it's, it's more realistic. Uh. <laughs> you know, it's exactly what you would expect. So from a branding point of view, it makes sense that if you're a one man band to present yourself as a one man band. But if you're saying we, you know, when you call in, you would expect someone else to answer the phone. You would expect to, you know, potentially be able to come in. Like there's more there's great expectations if you're pretending to be a branding agency. Yeah. So that's,
1: quality yeah. that's yeah, that's that's a good point about bigger expectations too. Uh, and on the on the flip side, when you show that it's just you, people like that too because they know that when they hire you you're going to be doing the work for them whereas if they're at a, if they're approaching a, a bigger studio or agency the person that they speak to first they might not be the person who's doing the work in fact they're 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 more likely not to be the person doing the work so there's there's more accountability on you and and the the person knows that when every time they talk to you you know you you don't have to relay their their words to somebody else you can you can get the job done straight away. You know, hang up the phone. Okay, I'm doing this now. And it's, it's, it's just there's more. Well, I wouldn't say there's more trust because huge agencies or studio, design studios can be trustworthy. But when you're dealing one to one, it's more it's more of a, a human relationship, you know, rather than rather than having a middle person involved.
0: Mm. You're right because um, if someone's looking to work with an agency. They will go to an agency, but there are a lot of people out there. I'm finding they do want to work with a freelancer. They are specifically looking for one person that could do everything for them. And I think, you know, I, I guess it depends who your target audience are. But if if you're planning to, you know, to work as an agency, then you know from the outset you need more than one person. Mm-hmm. Then it makes sense to start presenting yourself in one in one way. Yes, definitely if you do a google search you'll quickly see that prices vary drastically i mean there can be anything from someone on fiverr charging only five dollars for a, um, a logo versus um, agencies out there that are charging you know hundreds of thousands of dollars for a logo yeah. um so this put, when you're a freelancer it makes it really hard to know how much to charge and um i find in a lot of um like groups communities generally that's the the biggest question that comes up like how do i know how much to charge mm-hmm. now i've seen this in your book and on your website but for the sake of listeners would you be able to talk through your um pricing model for how much say so how people can work out how much they should be charging because i think the advice that you give is probably the best
1: yeah at the start when I first started out the easiest thing for me was really just simple maths I, I figured out how much I had to earn to cover the outgoings things like food your rent or mortgage you know, bills clothes car insurance dental appointments that type of thing software subscriptions I divided what I was spending by the amount of working hours in a week to come up with the hourly rate that just about covered everything and then I doubled it because we need to make a profit, or we, we won't be able to carry on through the the inevitable quiet times. Now, I've I've been self employed for about twelve years now. And I still get the odd month or two when inquiries dry up. I wonder where the next project's going to come from, and you know, I start start giving these thoughts. Oh, am I going to have to get a real job? Sort of thing. Not the design isn't a real job, but I sometimes feel like I'm 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 blagging it a bit. Uh, but an important point is that despite starting out by basing my quotes on the number of hours i worked it's it's much better to show a flat fee on your invoices i'm i'm sure you, you know this yourself Ian I'll, I'll give you a quick example when you bring hourly rates into the equation it, it punishes efficiency you know if one person takes 10 hours to do a job you could do the same job in 5 hours because you've learned twice as much or because you're twice as skilled that that doesn't mean you should charge half what the other person charges if anything, you should be charging more because you saved your client time. So pricing is tough. It gets it gets easier, especially as you get more confident. Now, I don't I don't base my pricing on hourly on an hourly rate. I'll just base it on what I think that I'm worth, and that's something that's only come over time. I will. I'll continually increase my prices because I know. That I'm continually learning more as I do more work and sometimes that will get to the stage where a few a few quotes will be sent out and I won't get any response I'll be quiet and I'll be wondering you know, if I'm if I am pitching too high you know as I can always lower it you know for the next for the next quote if because it's, it's always a balancing act you're never quite sure if what you're charging is is the right figure but if you've, you've, you've got to you know you have, you have to go with something and it's purely based on on experience because people people can tell you what what they charge specifically but their circumstances are going to be different from yours whether it's the job that they're doing the specific design that, that they're doing or their experience or you know the the clients that they're working with and that, that leads me on to always always base it according to the client you can't charge a multinational company the same as what you would charge uh, a local grocery store for example because the grocery store won't be able to afford a, a huge amount but if you were to approach a multinational with the same figure that you quoted to a grocery store you wouldn't get the job because they wouldn't trust that you had the ability to do the work so so you need to pitch yourself differently depending on who you're who you're you're um, sending the quote to
0: okay i mean just um kind of going on from that how do you know how Much you should be charging those bigger clients because I mean, for me, that's probably where I struggle. Like, I'm, I'm when I
1: started with that kind of hourly figure in my head, I increased it gradually. You know, today I might charge something like well, five or ten thousand pounds for a, a logo or an identity project. When I started, that might have been three or four hundred pounds. I was happy then I'm happy now and it's been a gradual increase in between so you've really just you've got to start somewhere and then realise that you're getting better doing your job the more you do it so it it only makes sense to charge more well, at what rate do you increase it I, I I can't say because I don't know if I'm doing it right but <laughs> at the same time I'm doing it right enough to, to give me a comfortable life, to support my family and, and to make my clients happy as well. If, if you were charging too much, you wouldn't get the job. And equally, if you were charging too little, you, you wouldn't be able to create a sustainable business.
0: yeah I think that's probably the best way of um taking it because there's loads of advice on there I mean in an earlier episode i I spoke to um Doe and uh, he was talking about how he's pitching a project for like hundred and sixty thousand dollars i mean it's a uh, it's an insane amount of money that if i if I got that I could um, work on that project for an you know a couple of years and uh, be happy with it but yeah. I think as um freelancers I mean uh Chris is coming from an agency perspective so it's quite different I mean there's um drastic overheads but I think it's it's worth charging enough so that you can live the way that you want to live um like for me I'm I'm able to live a reasonably comfortable um life charging around the 500 pound figure mm-hmm. but obviously I need to start taking your advice for the bigger clients because uh, obviously that's the way that you get the bigger clients is you, you charge more to, um, you know, to show trust. Yeah, but, and,
1: and not only to show trust, but also to to show that your your work is at sort of a, a level that they're looking for. The big companies, they're used to paying 50,000, 100,000 pounds, you know, half a million pounds for design projects. So if they've come to you in the first place then you should be expecting to, to pay a big amount or sorry to, to to charge a considerable fee. But it the the company that um I mentioned with the when we were talking about the three the three options in my invoice, that that is a is a big company. Uh, I might have I might have left some money on the table. I'm not sure. The situation I was in was that I'd finished a couple of projects and I had one more. I have one more lined up for starting later on this month, but nothing at at, at this exact time. So I said to myself, "Well, look, I, w- I want to pitch this in a way that shows that I'm that I'm good, but that doesn't have any chance of kind of pricing me out of the water." So I'm, I I might have went in a bit lower than I could have with that one, but it's it's hard to say. You know unless unless you come right out and say what what's your budget which which is something I don't do you know there are other ways to figure out how much their budget might be you know if you were to ask them ask the company you know, what their what their turnover might be or if you're working on a, a sub brand for a, a multinational how much how, how what was the turnover for that sub brand you know there there are ways to figure out the value of a company without actually asking you know how much how much money do you have to spend on design, and that's something that Chris Do can probably explain a lot better than I can. You know, there was a, a video that I put on the Logo Design Love blog that I think I think you might have kindly retweeted or or linked to. You know?
0: Yeah, it's really it's a really good um, video. I mean, I'll link to that in the show notes. Um, but yeah, there, there's loads of good advice out there for pricing, but then at the same time, everything you've spoken about now. To be honest, it's what the listeners are looking for. You know, it's a it's a more realistic um look at at pricing because yeah, it's very easy to say that you price on value, but what does that really mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like <laughs> you can't go in there and and price for you know like the the value of a logo might be a million pounds, but you can't go in there realistically with that figure. Um, so I think what you've explained now makes sense for everyone at the level that i'm at um you know to kind of understand that okay you have to increase your prices to get that business it's not a case of increasing your prices to get more money Mm -hmm. it's a case of increasing your prices to be you know to show that you are capable of doing that business because those clients are used to um seeing that figure so yeah. that's, that's for, for me personally, that's really good advice. And I know that anyone listening will also um, take that advice, uh, you know, and, and, you know, hopefully action that. Good. Good. I'm glad. Thanks. Okay. Fantastic. Um, I think we um wrap things up now. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to add? Well, touching on the
1: the quotes, on the the options in the quote there that we we're, that were talking about, Hi. How can I be sure if if I price the job right, Um, and and that's a question that I ask myself with with every quote that I prepare. And it ultimately depends on how quickly your client agrees to your quotes If they if they say yes immediately, then you're probably pitching too low for the size of the client. If they try and negotiate you down a bit, then maybe you went in around the right amount, and you can then choose whether you want to take the job for less than you first quoted. Which is always an option. No, don't don't think that if you send a quote and the client says, oh, no, that's that's more than it's more than I can afford. If you if you get the feeling that they can afford a little less and you want to do the job for a little less, then just let them know. Well look, maybe we can come to an agreement here. Um and if you're way over the client's budget then you're, you're probably not the right fit anyway. So determining whether or not you know if you've gone in at the right level, it's, it's a tough one. It's something, that, it's something that I'm never quite sure about. So there will there'll be, there'll be people out there doing it better than I do. But coming back to the point, as, as long as you can enjoy your work and support yourself and lead a comfortable life and get better at the same time, then, then you're, you're, you're on the right track.
0: I think that's fantastic uh, final words. So, um, David, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, It's a real honour for me personally to be able to speak to you. Um, So, yeah, thanks again. Really appreciate it. You're very welcome, it's been a pleasure. I was so amazing to finally speak with David Airy after reading his books and following his blog for so many years. David, thank you so much for your time and for sharing so many valuable insights in this episode. If you'd like to discuss this episode with me and other designers, make sure to join the Logo Geek community on Facebook. To find that, visit logogeek.uk forward slash community. Show notes for this episode can be found at logogeek.uk forward slash podcast 2 If you've enjoyed this podcast make sure to subscribe and if you really loved it and you want to give something back in some way make sure to write a review on iTunes that would allow me to get more listeners and continue doing more shows like this one. Again thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.